0: Sometimes I think about what I would have turned out like if I had a different mom. What if my mom was really prim and proper? What if my mom had been incredibly strict? What if my mom had been absent? The conclusion I come to every time I've thought this is that I wouldn't be me. Without my mom, I would have had little guidance and support, But most of all, I would have been without the one person in this world who understands me like no one else ever could. I was also lucky enough to grow up in the same house as my grandparents, so I had an exceptionally close relationship with them both, and I consider myself so lucky to have experienced two different approaches to mothering. For example, if I'd pissed off my mom for whatever reason, I knew I could go see my grandma for a sympathy snack. It was usually hash browns. Because my mom is my best friend, and I've always felt like she was the most important figure in my life, I've always been fascinated by mother daughter bonds. Everyone has such a different experience with their mothers, and hopefully, today you can get some insight into what our relationship is like. I feel so lucky to have her. It hasn't all been perfect and easy, though, and I think it's important to talk about the challenges as well as the successes. I have a feeling things are gonna get emotional. So last year, my mom wrote me a letter, which actually made it inside my book. And it was a letter addressed to me, and it was all about her feelings. And the first time I read the letter, she emailed it to me, and I remember crying when I read it because it was just so nice. And I couldn't imagine how much thought she put into it. Obviously, I know my mom loves us very much, but to actually receive a letter is really special, and I was really excited to put it in the book. Today, I want to repay her and read a letter to her. Dear Mom, or is it Mum now that I've lived in England for so long? You're the best person I know. You're incredibly intricate and hard to get to know, but we both know that's because your horoscope sign is a cancer, hard outer crab shell, soft and sensitive on the inside. Sometimes I wish you found it easier to be open with people right off the bat but I also selfishly like knowing that I'm one of the few people you've let into your world. I've always wanted to do my best to please you, impress you, and make you proud. And now that I've grown up and have lived on my own for the best part of a decade, I often think back to everything you did for us. And as I clock up the years, I become more and more aware of how difficult that must have been. Despite probably being at your breaking point stress-wise, you never let us see it. You always seemed in control, and you always made us feel like everything would work out. You cocooned us from the realities of adult life and let us go on in our own little carefree childhood version of life. You gave us the most important gift a parent could give, a supporting, happy, and laid-back start to life, and for that, I will be eternally grateful. On a lighter side note, I'm most impressed by the fact that you managed to make us dinner every night despite being the worst cook ever. Who cares if we have chicken quesadillas six times a week, eh? You're genuinely hilarious, Mom. And besides that, you're always up for a laugh. You go into situations with your game face on and always try to tackle things with a positive outlook. That's been really helpful for me to learn, and now I try my best to do the same. Fast forward to the beginning of my career, and you were there. You read every comment, watch every video, and tune into every project I'm working on. I don't think you'll ever know how much that means to me or how much confidence it's given me. You've given me so much, so many life lessons, so many great experiences, and so much love. How could I ever repay you? Nothing would even come close to matching it. Love Furby. Okay, bye. Welcome to the heart of it. I'm Estee LaLonde, and on this episode, we're switching things up a little bit. We're getting very personal because we're going to be talking to my mom. She's the person that means the most to me in my life. She's the person who encourages me to be myself my real self. She's funny. She's fearless. She's always dancing, even though she thinks she can't dance, but she kind of can, but she really can't. But I just like to watch her dance. And she's also responsible. I never felt like she was like the cool mom necessarily because she wasn't like buying us booze. But at the same time, you could call her and be like, Mom, I'm drunk. Come pick me up. It was a no judgment zone, but we were also kind of scared of her at the same time. She is kind of unconventional, and that's what I love about her. I really wanted to show a different side to motherhood, a different side to being a woman. My mom really doesn't mince her words. She's not what I would call a people pleaser. She's pretty blunt, which is where I get it. And I love that. I love meeting women who just say it how it is, and I just wanted to hear straight from her what it feels like to be in her brain. My mom has never really been the type of person to talk about her feelings. Like she wouldn't cry when she was watching a really sad movie. She wouldn't let any sort of emotion out ever. She's getting a little bit better with age, but like for my entire childhood, I I never heard her like properly discuss feelings. Like she always let us do it, but she never actually did it herself. She's quite a private person, which is why I thought she'd be the perfect person to talk to on a public podcast. I'm aware that I have a really unique relationship with my mom. We're really open and always have been. And I get that not everyone has that kind of a relationship with their mom. So I thought it would be quite an interesting show for you guys to see what it's actually like on the inside of this kind of relationship. I'm sure everyone out there listening has that woman in their life that they can go to, they can talk to about anything. And for me, that person happens to be my mom. Ring, ring, ring. I know at this point in time, my mom is absolutely frantic when it came to the actual record we did it through Skype and I told her like mom you don't need to like do your hair your makeup or anything it's not a video it's just audio but lo and behold her little face popped up on the Skype window and there she was sitting in her office chair all done up perfect hair perfect makeup ready for a phone interview mother
1: hey can you hear me not really why not it seems like it's coming through the phone not the computer
0: okay hang on oh, wait a second
1: <laughs> i i didn't have my headphones in
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyways um you ready
1: i am duper duper ready well where can we
0: begin we- you were born in canada
1: yeah, I was born in Canada. My father worked on the pipeline and uh, my parents traveled sort of across Canada. And so each, my brother and sister and I were born in a different city. But eventually, I think by the time I was about four or five, we moved to Waterloo and that's where we've lived ever since, or I have for sure.
0: One thing I've always found really interesting about you, mom, is that you're nothing like the rest of our relatives. No shade to the rest of our relatives, by the way, but yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, funny thing is, like, if I would not have seen my birth certificate, I would have sworn I was adopted. I was nothing like my family, and I mean zero. I didn't look like them. I didn't act like them. I didn't get them.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important for the people listening to say that you're the third child, the youngest child. Yeah. Is the third child often the one that feels a little, like different?
1: I don't think so. I think they they probably feel special because they're the baby, but I didn't have that situation. I think by the time I came around, my mom and dad were so sick of having kids that I was just sort of, I'm not going to say an afterthought because my mother always used to say you were unplanned, but you weren't unwanted. But (laughs) I just think that, you know, I don't think the balloons came out when I was born. I don't think they didn't want me, but I don't think it was like, oh, what a blessing.
0: Yeah. Does that bother you?
1: Um, no, I don't think so. I think that it shaped me,
0: though. And then obviously, you know, you grew up in in the 60s. Yeah,
1: I was born in 1961. And um, basically, like my parents grew up in a completely different era than I did, obviously. It just like, you know, you are and
0: yeah, everybody's parents. Yeah.
1: Yeah. By the time I got older, I was, you know, in the late 70s early 80s which was like the music was new wave punk rock that was the kind of stuff i was interested in i'm not
0: sure if it will surprise some of you to know that my mom was a bit of a rebel i think she told me once that she used to have like half black hair half green hair and she also drove motorcycles In fact, when I was growing up, I would spend a lot of time at home, like sometimes I didn't want to go out, and my mom would actually say to me on a Friday night, shouldn't you be like at a party, smoking pot? (laughs) She always used to say that to me. From what I know, when you were kind of like 16, 17, that's when the uh, motorcycle thing started out, Miss Cool.
1: I think it wasn't anything about cool. It was more or less just I wanted to be who I wanted to be, and I wasn't going to, you know set any boundaries for myself. So, I mean, I got a lot of flack from my parents and things like that, but I don't know. It made me proud that I would go out and do stuff like that because I wanted to do it. And I wasn't, I was fearless when I was younger, absolutely fearless.
0: Yeah. Like I can't imagine you saying to grandma, like the youngest girl and being like, I'm going to get a motorcycle and this is who I am and wear leather jackets and whatever you were doing.
1: I think that they were like, she's wild, you know, But parents didn't tune in as much as they do now. And so it was more just don't kill yourself.
0: Yeah, on the motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah, it was a different time, I guess. So when you talk about parents not tuning in, what do you mean by that?
1: Well, in my parents' culture and and all my friends and everybody I've talked to since, and I've had some really interesting conversations with people when we talk about our past and our childhood and stuff. But the majority of parents, in my personal experience, was that they'd raise their kids, but they weren't tuned into who their kids really were. I mean, they, they, they wanted they gave you love. They gave you shelter. They gave you food. You know, you would take your one vacation a year, but that was about it. Like they never really, my parents anyway, never really took a lot of interest in us. Like, I don't ever remember my mother asking, did you finish your homework? I remember bringing the report cards home and it would just being like sort of a, a side thing. Oh, you passed. Good. <laughs> you know? So they, I just think in that era, I don't know, they they just weren't tuned into children as much as maybe what they could have been.
0: Well, maybe they thought because for them, the options were kind of limited career wise and things like that. So maybe grandma wasn't raised in an era where she could kind of reach for the stars. So she wasn't really encouraging it for you guys. I don't know. Do you think that was it?
1: It was probably a part of it. I mean, I remember my father telling me, you know, you better get a job, you better get a job. And they wanted you to stay at that job forever. And the other thing was, like, my mom was
0: a pretty easygoing parent. She kind of let me do my own thing within reason. And she never tried to, like, micromanage me. But parents nowadays, they're really into, like, all the books. They watch videos on different parenting techniques. You know there are a lot of parenting faux pas nowadays, and I just wonder what my mom thinks of all that. Do you think there's such a thing as overparenting? Like how grandma and grandpa just kind of left you to it. But do you think that, like, you know how people are just obsessed with their kids? Is that is that bad?
1: From my perspective, yes, but everybody has their own thing. I don't want to judge anybody, but yeah, I think I've seen kids that have been overparented, and usually what, like when I mean overparented, I mean, where are you going? What are you doing? You should do this. Let me plan out your life for you. And those types of kids that I've seen grow up, um, they've went like hog wild now um, because they've been so controlled. I think that, you know, one of the reasons why you and Eric have been, you know, found success in your life and happiness is because I sort of like. I'm not going to say I cut you loose because there were boundaries, but they weren't huge boundaries. You know, I I don't think that you felt trapped at any time. So yeah, I think you can overparent kids.
0: So let's start talking about around when you decided to have kids. Did you actually decide to
1: have me? Yes, I did. I definitely wanted to have kids and I planned to have you because I wanted to see if I could actually do it.
0: Like actually get pregnant?
1: Yeah. So um, yeah. And like the first time, boom. Really? Yeah. TMI, though. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't tell anybody, including your father, I was pregnant until I was like four and a half months pregnant. no, because it was so personal, and I was so shocked. Like I was like, "Oh my god!" And you know me with personal things. So. I know, yeah. So I didn't, I didn't really say anything. But people were starting to say, "Oh, is marriage agreeing with you, or do you want to tell us something?" Because <laughs> you know, you get a little thick around the middle.
0: Because like obviously, you didn't really want to have kids for a lot of your life, or it wasn't on your mind. When you actually got pregnant, were you thinking, "Oh my god, what have I done?"
1: No, no, I was completely and utterly. In heaven. I was so happy. I, I, I've i never been happier.
0: Oh, and then so eventually, you know, you told dad, I'm assuming, at some point, and then you were ready to pop. And this whole time, from what you've told me, you thought you were having a boy.
1: Yep, I thought, I knew I was having a boy. It wasn't even that I thought, I knew it. I 100% knew it. We had boys' names picked out. I painted the room blue. I told everybody I was having a boy. Now you could find out what you were having, but I didn't want to.
0: And I popped out looking like what?
1: Beautiful, absolutely perfect. And I'm not just saying that. You were just the most perfect baby. Like not nothing wrong. Like not you weren't even like you were just perfect. You looked like you just had a you know were at a little party or something. You looked beautiful. Not a mark (laughs) on your face. Perfectly shaped head. Beautiful eyes. But it didn't matter because I wanted a boy and. I, when the nurse said, do you want to hold her? I i don't know. I'd amp myself up so much that um, I didn't even hold you. <laughs> I think it was disappointment. And I I, I I don't even want to say that out loud because it disgusts me. But um, yeah, I think I was disappointed because I was so sure it was going to be a boy. And I, I just, I couldn't believe it. I just, you know, I guess when you amp yourself up for something, I mean, it's ridiculous. There'll probably be hate for this, but I don't know. I just, it was, it was the stupidest thing I've ever, ever done is think that way. So then she handed you to your dad and he held you and he was so happy and and just over the moon about it. And then they took you down to the nursery and then somehow they wheeled me into some room. And then a couple hours later, they brought you back in a little bassinet and I looked, just glanced over at you, you know, to see, to see you. And it was just like, oh, I can't even explain it. I've never loved anything more than at that moment. It was just incredible. And you were just so dang cute.
0: (laughs) (laughs) In the US, up to 20% of women who give birth each year have postpartum depression symptoms. And in the UK, around three in 10 new mothers may experience the condition. And the scariest thing is that approximately 58% of new mothers with postpartum depression did not seek medical help. This was often due to them not understanding the condition or fearing the consequences of reporting the problem. And that's why I'm so proud of my mom for talking about this. It's not something that I've ever held against her. It's not ever something that I thought, oh mom, like how could you do that? I've never ever thought that. I can't imagine having a baby and being hit with postpartum depression and feeling like you can't tell anyone about it because you feel so guilty that people might judge you. They might think you don't love your baby. I think it's really, really sad and the stigma around it has to
1: change. I didn't even really know what it was, but you know, you go from this lifestyle of just you know, being free and being able to run around and do whatever you want to having this baby. And it's it's extremely overwhelming. I mean, I think that um, a lot of people think, oh, I'll have a baby and life will be perfect and this, that and the other, but it's not. It's very tiring. You don't physically feel well. And at the time, your dad was working afternoon. So I was home alone um, a lot of the time by myself. But I remember this one time in particular, your dad was going to work and I was seriously, this is not, you know, embellishing anything. I was holding onto his ankles I was sitting on the floor and I was grabbing onto his ankles and begging him not to go to work because I was so sad uh it was just so incredibly hard but just through time you know a few months later um you know I just tried to keep exercising it happened to be summer at the time so that helped and it just it went away with without taking any medication or anything it just eventually went away I mean, it it wasn't horrible. It was just very teary, very, just low, like blue and stuff like that. Like Mm -hmm. it would come in waves. I didn't have it twenty four seven, but I I I don't like it.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I don't think anybody likes it. Um, So, but obviously, it didn't deter you. So when I was two ish years old, my parents split up. My brother was just a little baby. I guess I was so young, I just didn't know any different. Obviously, I don't remember, you know, them getting divorced or anything like that. I just, I was too young to compute that. I think my mom did such an incredible job raising my brother and I. Like, as I get older, I just have so much respect for her and what she did. I mean, imagine... And, you know, a lot of women and men do this, but imagine going to work every day, nine to five, nine to six, and you come home and you got to make your kids dinner. You got to keep them occupied. And it's like all weekend long, you've got to do that. And it's like you don't have your own life. So I just think my mom was pretty awesome for being able to do that. And she always had a happy face. Like, she always was positive around us. She never really showed stress, which I know she had money stress. I know she had stress for other issues. And she always kind of kept that away from us, which I think is pretty strong of her. Obviously, as I've told you, my mom was a party animal as a teenager. And even into her 30s, she was, like, big into going out with her friends. And... I think that's awesome. She would just like bring us over to our grandparents' house and we'd hang out with grandma and grandpa and my mom would just go out clubbing. I think it's cool that my mom didn't ever really lose herself even though we took up so much of her life. Can we talk about the little house? Yeah, sure. <laughs> the little house that we
1: grew up in. Yeah. I love that house. I I I'm not going to say I have regrets from moving from there, but I should have stayed. <laughs> I'm not going to say I regret this, but I regret this. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the house was so amazing. It was literally like a dollhouse in suburbia.
1: Yeah. It was just a nice little house. It was easy to take care of. It was affordable. It was close to everything. And it had a little forest in the backyard with a little deck and, it, it was absolutely perfect for us. I think we were happy there.
0: Oh, my God. It was literally the perfect house. And like, whenever I think back to being a kid, all the memories are in that house.
1: Eh? I know. And, you know, it's funny because when I decided to move, um, I remember packing up everything and the moving van going away. And I was locking the door behind me. And I turned around and I looked at that house. And it was just so hard to walk away from that.
0: Yeah, because you're really saying goodbye to us growing up and your 30s. And yeah,
1: it, it's never about the things, is it? It's always about what happened there.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, it's not like we could just move back there tomorrow and relive all that.
1: Yeah. And probably if I did, I'd be like, wow, this is like a closet. <laughs> you
0: know? <laughs> yeah, but I do always like to drive by there whenever i I pass it. Okay, so let's go back to me. What was I like? Because like, I know what I was like. First of all, this is a good question. Do you feel like I'm the same as my YouTube persona?
1: Um, I think you're close to it, for sure. I mean, you're, you're always happy. Like from the time that you were born, you were smiling. Like when you were like one, two, three months old, you were always smiling. I think even if you were sad, you were always smiling you know, you'd, you'd be crying at one point and then we'd be talking about something and then you'd laugh hysterically. Like you, you never really w- were down for long, long periods of time. So you're, you're pretty happy. You were always interesting.
0: I do feel like I'm always smiling on the outside, but I do obviously have depression issues and things like that. So do you. And I would say that you're always pretty much smiling as well. So I wonder if it's a bit of a mask for that.
1: Yeah. I mean, who isn't depressed? Let's face it. I mean, everybody's got their ups and downs and I mean, there's clinical depression, but you always looked happy. And I think you always, a lot of times you were happy, but yeah, you're very similar to your YouTube um, persona.
0: My mom has always been a pillar of strength in my life. And I remember when I was telling her about my teenage anxiety, her reaction was kind of just like, deal with it. Like, you know, get over it kind of thing, because she had never experienced it before. She was always so sure of herself. But ironically, later in her life, my mom started suffering with anxiety herself. So I want to talk a little bit about the anxiety thing, because that's something that you and I talk a lot about.
1: Yeah, once you have a panic attack or anxiety, that's a whole new ball game. That actually shaped my whole life. I've never been the same since I've had it.
0: So I had my first anxiety attack the first year I was in high school and I was walking down the hall and I had a really crazy anxiety attack and I was like sitting in the corner of the hallway of high school, like terrified, right? But I I breathed through it and that was that. And I told you and that was when you were kind of like, oh, get over it kind of thing. And that's when I learned to kind of self-soothe throughout my entire high school years. It didn't even sink in what you were saying to me. I know, but like even ten years ago nobody talked about it. Well
1: who knew what I didn't even know what it was. I would just think it's that roller coaster feeling that you get every once in a while and oh okay, yeah, anxiety, yeah, right. You know, anxious about going to the dentist or, or whatever. I wasn't I wasn't thinking full blown anxiety. So do you want to talk
0: about the first time you experienced a panic attack?
1: The first time I had a panic attack, I was in the car with you. You must have been visiting or something. And I think we were going to the mall or something to pick up a couple little things. Yeah. And I was just, I remember my phone beeped. It was a text from my boyfriend at the time. And I just had this feeling that just whooshed over me. It was just the most incredibly scary feeling. Just just fear. I mean, I explain it like just as if the Grim Reaper was grabbing you by the Ankles and dragging into hell. It was the most scariest, frightening feeling I've ever had in my entire life. I I can't even explain it. It was so scary. And you knew what it was, but I didn't. And I remember just sitting at the side of the car thinking, What the heck? Like this is am I having a heart attack? Am I you know, what's going on? I think you drove us home and I, I went and laid down right away, hoping to heck this feeling would go away.
0: And then I started to think, maybe this is something serious. I didn't know if it was an anxiety attack. And I think I said, do you want to go to the hospital? And I think you said yes, which was really shocking for me. We were sitting in the waiting room and you were in the chair and I was filling out the forms for you. And I said, mom, can you sign this form? And I looked at your hand and it was like a claw. You like couldn't move your hands. And I was like, what the hell? I thought you were having a stroke. And you looked so pale, like I've never seen you look so pale. And then next thing you know, I was looking in your eyes and like no one was there, like no one was upstairs. And then all of a sudden, your head flopped backwards. (laughs) you're laughing but it was fucking scary (laughs) and I was like oh my god oh my god and I was screaming to the nurse something's happening to my mom I think she's having a stroke she's having a seizure I didn't know what was happening and all these doctors were walking past nobody cared the nurse didn't care and I eventually ran across the room and grabbed this guy by the like shoulders. And I said, my mom is having a stroke. And then eventually he came over and he looked at you and he was so nonchalant. I remember being so mad. And uh he shone the flashlight in your eyes and he put you in a wheelchair and wheeled you down the hall. And I was like, what is happening? Eventually you came around and he said, you just stopped breathing. Yeah. So moral of the story
1: is anxiety is real, right? It's real. It's scary. I hope Nobody else gets it. it it's it's life-changing. It's one of those things that just, it never leaves you. Like always in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I hope that never happens again.
0: There is like a post-anxiety attack fear, isn't there? And I remember you were so scared afterwards of getting
1: another one. Yeah, they call it the fear of the fear. A lot of times that's the problem. You almost bring it on yourself because you're constantly thinking of the fear. Like I went from, honestly, it completely changed who I was. I went from feeling fearless most of my life, like traveling wherever, doing whatever I wanted, switching jobs, you know, meeting people I didn't know, you know, doing whatever I wanted to do, like completely fearless, never thinking about it twice, to second-guessing every single thing I do in my life. And as a matter of fact, not even doing a lot of things that I want to do in my life because of it.
0: Yeah, from my point of view, the worst thing that anxiety attack did to you was strip your confidence. Yeah,
1: and then you try to get it back. But it doesn't come back because in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I still have this.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think it is important just to talk about the weight thing, because that's a huge source of my anxiety and uh, my body image issues that you obviously have as well. So what's the deal like? honestly it's why wise- my mom has always struggled with body image and issues with weight she always has since she was younger and I think she definitely passed a little bit of that onto me sometimes I do wish I grew up in a household where like food was just like a normal part of life and it wasn't this like big thing that took over but I think everyone has body image issues and she never ever made me feel bad about myself I think more than anything It's just she gave me the obsession with it.
1: I think it's because, well, first of all, I think I passed a lot of it on to you because I always had a thing with being overweight. I was always 15, 20 pounds overweight. And every single one of my friends and everybody I knew were poker thin. I mean, they were they were waifs. even though nobody really said anything about it. I hated it. I just hated it. So, you know, then, of course, when you're growing up and you're, you know, a little bit chubby, you know, I'm on your case about it. You know, stay, don't eat that or this out of the other. And so I pushed all of that onto you for no reason, because you were beautiful, like you were perfect. And I hope you break that with your child, like if you ever have kids, because it's not it's not good.
0: It's not good. And even today, like I can't. I think there is a special relationship there between a mom and a daughter and of course, being a daughter, I'm going to pick up some of her complexes and I know that my mom was picked up complexes from her mom and it, and it is a weird cycle. I don't know if there's ever an end to that cycle. I think, you know, with each generation you try not to screw up your kid as much as your parents screwed you up, right? So, I'm going to try to if I have a kid, try to teach them a bit of a more healthy outlook on food. But every parent tries and seems like every parent kind of screws up so like how would you say that like our relationship our mother-daughter relationship it was different from say your relationship with grandma growing up what's like what's so different about it
1: basically everything that she did with me I did the polar opposite (sighs) you know my mom and dad never did anything with us and so I tried to do a lot of things with you and Eric and you know I tried to show some interest in school and make sure that you got your education my mom and dad never seemed to care if we ever even finish school for that matter. And I think that that was to to my detriment because I pushed that on you. You know, you have to have an education. You have to get a degree and, you know, pushed you to a point where maybe that wasn't something you wanted to do. And that was okay, but I never made it okay, you know?
0: Mm, but I mean, I never thought of it that way. I always thought I had a choice. Yeah, I guess so, but...
1: Uh... When my mom
0: decided to move into a home with my grandparents, they were a lot younger. They were a lot more... Physically able to do things. Uh, my grandpa has since passed away, but my grandma is in her like late eighties now, and she's beginning to find it more and more difficult to do things. For instance, yesterday she was too scared to answer the door when the air conditioner man came to fix the air conditioner. So it's not easy living with old people, and I say that lovingly. My mom and I have actually spoken about this, and my mom has said to me, "Don't worry, Estee. I am never gonna put you through this." I will never ask you to take care of me. When I'm too old to take care of myself, I'm putting myself in a home. She's like, I'd never ever want you to go through this.
1: I'm gonna say it's challenging. I, I think that to watch somebody age because my mother's in her eighties and her health is failing, it really does emotionally take you down because you you see yourself in it. You 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 see I'm next. And, you know, everywhere we go, it's like being in slow motion, you know, like getting in the car, going shopping. I mean, if we're just going to get a few groceries, it's like a two hour outing. Like, don't get me wrong. I appreciate my mother. I love her to death and I'd do anything for her as she has done anything for us when we were growing up. But I'm going to say I don't recommend it if you're single. Because really, you just live for taking care of your, your parents.
0: Yeah, it really has become your life. I mean, no one can say that you haven't done a lot for, as we call them, the G units.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I and I don't regret doing it. But I think that it's taking away from my life in ways that I, I can't do anything. Like even if I go out for the night, like my mother will call me and ask me what time I'm coming home and things like that. And, and I, I just find, you know it can be depressing.
0: Yeah. And you probably feel really trapped.
1: I do feel trapped. In your I, own home. I do. I do feel trapped in my own home. I feel an obligation to it because I live here and she lives right next door. And, um, you know, she's self-sufficient in a lot of ways and stuff, but she relies on me for a lot of things. And it's really hard. It's, it's really, really hard to watch your parents get older. You can never prepare yourself for it. It's sad. You don't even know who these people are anymore because they're not who they were.
0: It's really interesting because like you talk about how your whole beginning of your life, you were trying to be the opposite of Grandma and Gramps. Like you wanted to be free. You wanted to be a rebel. You wanted to be this and that. And now you're at the stage where you have morphed into Grandma's BFF.
1: Not by choice. (laughs) (laughs) Not by choice. Let me tell you. When I
0: decided to move to England, I was super excited. I wasn't thinking about what I was leaving behind. I was like, yes, I can't wait to go to England. Maybe I'll get to go to Paris. I've got this hot new boyfriend. And then I remember a couple of days before my flight, uh, my brother and I were just hanging out, and he was like, well, I guess you're going. Oh, God, I could cry just thinking about it. (laughs) And it really hit me. I was like, yeah, like we can't just like have a coffee together. I'm not gonna like see you every day. Like I'm literally just choosing. I felt like I was choosing Aslan over my family, which was really difficult because I loved them both. But at the same time, like I was growing up and you know, you can't stay at home forever. And it was just like this feeling of saying goodbye to so much, to so many memories saying goodbye to your childhood, just, just, it's like moving out, but worse, because you can't go home.
1: How did you feel when I told you I was going to move to England? Honestly, I was happy. In my mind, it was going to open up new doors for you. You were going to live a different kind of life. I always felt that there wasn't a lot going on here. Like, it's not the most cultured city in the world. I mean, it's safe. There's lots of people love living here and there's things to do, but I just didn't think there were enough things to do. And I, because I traveled a little bit and realized how big the world was and how interesting it was, I wanted that for you. Even if you just moved there and came back, that was okay. I wanted you to have that experience.
0: Yeah. And then it got, real when I actually did move to England and it was a struggle.
1: Yeah, it was a struggle for you. I, I don't think it was so much for me. I mean, I was sad that you were going through so many things and, and stuff. But at the end of the day, I was still living my life and just trying to be supportive. I knew it was you that had to get through it. I mean, I could support you on it, but but you were the one doing it.
0: Totally. And I was so homesick and I was looking for any reason to move back home. Like, honest to God, Mom, and I've told you this before, if you said stay please move home. I would have been on that first flight out.
1: I know. And I'm so glad you didn't. I, I couldn't do it. I think when you have regrets in your life, you don't want anybody else to have regrets, you know, because it's so important. It's so life changing. And I just wanted you to give it a real go and make sure that the choices that you made were for the right reasons. They weren't because you were homesick. I I just wanted you to have a good go at it. And if at the end of the day, you decided I really can't live here, then that's one thing. But for me to say, yeah, take the easy way out. Just come home. I wasn't going to be that person. Yeah, definitely. I think I did say, just come home and recharge, you know, come home for a week and recharge and and then try to go back. But yeah, I wasn't going to be the person to tell you to come home and like throw that all away. But good for you, Estée, because, I mean, that is such a big deal. You know, it's not to be underestimated how much courage and strength that took to do that.
0: Like, thinking back, I don't know how the hell I did it, but at the time, I was kind of fearless until I got there, and I was like, oh my God. Yeah, this is for real. At the beginning of this episode, you heard me read the letter I wrote to my mom. And I told you that she has also written a letter for me. For people who find it difficult to tell people how they're really feeling, to really get those emotions out there. Writing a letter is a great way to let someone know how you feel. It's a chance for someone to just be really raw and get out on paper exactly what they wish they could say. And for the sake of being open with each other, for this episode, I really wanted my mom to read the letter to me even though I knew it was going to be really hard for her.
1: Dearest day, I never wanted to get married or have children. I was a free spirit. (laughs) I can't do it. (laughs) No, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I never wanted to get married or have children. I was a free spirit, and I didn't want to be held down or be accountable to anyone. Little did I know that having children is actually my elixir for a fulfilling life. It's funny what things you pass on to your children without even realizing it, both good and bad. My dislike for Christmas and cooking sadly have been passed along. My love for travel and animals is now both of your joy. In return, among many other things, you and your brother have taught me that anything is possible with the right attitude and that, yes, if I put my mind to it, I can learn how to Snapchat. <laughs> I march to my own beat and now both you and your brother do the same. You with your own vision and different types of media and lifestyle, and your take on life, and Eric with his amazing talent in music and humor, and his ability to fix almost anything. You both started out as best friends and remain that to this day. I have to stop myself from wishing that you were little again, reminiscing about you and your brother living in your bathing suits and running through the sprinkler all summer long, baking cookies just so we could lick the beaters, Camping for four days in torrential rain and throwing out the tent on the way home. I was never the person who said, I love you out loud, though it was always expressed through my actions and affection. But today, (laughs) I do want to say it. (sighs) I love you with Stan, Eric. I'm so incredibly proud of you both, and you have made this world a better place. Love, Mom. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) Oh, sorry. Everyone's crying, Mom. So I forced my mom on my podcast. I made her feel super uncomfortable, only to ask her if she could read. One of the most emotionally charged letters she's ever written. I have a bit of guilt about it, to be honest, because I know it was so hard for her. But I'm also so proud that she was able to overcome that. And you could hear like how much it did take her to overcome what's essentially an emotional block, right? For like most of my childhood, she really did bottle all of her emotions. And sitting silently in the studio, just like listening to her spill her heart out. I just wanted to scream like, stop, stop. Like, we don't have to do this, mom. We don't have to do this right now. Because you never want someone you love to go through something that's really hard. But actually doing that was probably so good for her and so freeing. I just think it's awesome. And I'm glad I have it on recording forever. I think both of us realized that we need to get better at communicating. And I'm also learning a lot about how a relationship changes between, you know, when you're a kid and when you get older and the way you see your mother. It's really interesting to see the dynamic shift. And I guess I just learned that it's good to do things that scare you. This episode was kind of scary for both of us for different reasons. And because I'm so close to this episode and this topic, It's really difficult for me to gauge this. I mean, I would love to know who your main person is. Who would you write a letter to? And I hope I have inspired you to write a letter to that person. If you do, let me know how it goes. And let me know if you find it as difficult as we did. And the last thing I want to say, more than anything, is mom, I love you too. This episode was brought to you by the team at Radio Wolfgang. It was hosted by me, Estée Lalonde, and it featured my mom, Kelly. Yay! Go, mom! Give my mom lots of love. It was executive produced by Harry Watson. The assistant producer was Holly Aquilina, edited by Eli Block, and the producer was Natalia Rodriguez. If I try to think of the music that I really rock out to now... Oh my God, I'm so uncool. Rock out too. Oh my God, I sound like my mother.